Thank you for the time of worship we've had this morning, and as we just continue in prayer, extend uh, Nate's prayer. Uh, You are real, God, and I just thank you for how you're with us, not only on Sundays, but as, as Nate just prayed, as we will leave this place here in about a half an hour or so and go to our classes and then on into our week. We just thank you, Lord, for how your presence goes with us daily. You want to be with us. You want to commune with us. We just thank you for the fact that you loved us enough to die on a cross for us. And now, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to listen to your word, I just pray that uh, we would be aware of your presence because you are here. You promise us in your word that where two or three are gathered, in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And we ask that you will teach us this morning from your word, Lord, and that you will give us what we need, and you know where we are for the rest of this week. Give us food from your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before I read the scripture this morning, I just want you to know that uh, George Spommer was originally going to read our scripture today, but he is with Paula at the hospital. Uh, unexpectedly yesterday morning, uh, she was having difficulty breathing actually the night before, but uh, it became worse yesterday morning. And so they uh, took her by ambulance to the hospital and uh, they discovered that she had a blood clot in a leg that got into her lungs. In fact, she has blood clots in both lungs. And so they've admitted her, they've got her on blood thinner today. And I would just ask your prayer for Paula, please, today. And as you pray for Paula, remember Don Bubb. You know, Don fainted out here in the narthex about, was it six weeks ago, Don? And uh, I didn't even know what was going on that morning. But uh, you ended up with a blood clot, I believe, blood clots in your lung. So a similar thing. And uh, so please continue to pray for Don as she's on a journey. Pray for Paula this morning. And... uh, As you pray for them, God is probably bringing somebody else to mind right now. Somebody that you have in your family or somebody in your neighborhood. Uh, I'm thinking of Ted this morning. I'm I'm looking at you, Joanne. We need to continue to lift up our our, our dear friend, our brother in Christ, Ted. Uh, We just love him so much. Uh, Would you just bow your head with me one more time? I guess we're praying a lot here today, but just bow your head again. Lord, before we read your word, we just pray for Paula. We pray for Don. We pray for Ted. And Lord, uh, we've mentioned three people by name. But now, Lord, you're bringing other people to mind. Because there are so many people, Lord, in our church family that need lifting up, that need prayer this morning. And so we just lift them up to you now, Lord. We pray for their healing. We pray, Lord, that you will be with them, that you will give them exactly the encouragement, the strength they need today, Lord, because all other ground is sinking sand. You're our rock. You're our refuge. You're our Savior. And so we come to you today, Lord, as we prepare to open up your word. In your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now just very, very quickly, this is Compassion Sunday. Chuck and Jean Reed, go ahead and stand up, would you, Chuck and Jean, so we can see your (laughs) T-shirts. 
Ask me about it, they say. Uh, they've got a couple of, compa- at least one compassion kid they've adopted. And uh, you can sponsor a child. Uh, the table is out there. It's going to be up there next week as well. And uh, we'll have a little uh, video next week. But uh, please step out there today and, and talk to them because there are kids that need our Lord Jesus Christ today. They need to hear about the Savior. They, they need the touch of His love. They need the gospel. And so uh, this is a wonderful ministry. If you take the time to look at the rest of your bulletin this morning, you're going to see that we've got an evening service tonight. We'll be in the Word again this evening. We invite you back tonight. We'd love to have you. Uh, we've got a, uh, a business meeting coming up on May the 18th. Circle that date. You're going to be voting on next year's budget on May the 18th. Lots of stuff there in your bulletin. Please look it over there, all of those dates. And now let's listen to the Word of God as recorded here in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. All thing, all good things must come to an end, right? And today we come to the end of the journey in the book of Nehemiah that we've been studying for these last many weeks. Hear the word of God. On that day, verse 1 of chapter 13... They read from the book of Moses, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. In the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. God can work all things for good. As soon as the people heard the law... They separated from Israel all of those of foreign descent. Now, before this, Elishib, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites singers and gatekeepers and the contributions for the priest. And while this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, Nehemiah tells us. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king and after some time, I asked leave of of the king and came to Jerusalem or back to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Elishib had done for Tobiah preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was, look at verse 8, ticked off. Is that what your Bible says? I was very angry. Not just a little bit. I was very angry. And I threw all of the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. And then I gave orders. And they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and with the frankincense. And then verse 14, remember me, O my God, Nehemiah prays, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. Now, on any given day, 
you can get on the internet and you can Google it and you can find the top 10 best movies that are out currently on any given week. But you can also Google it and you can find the top 10 rated movies of all time. And if you've got your notes in front of you this morning, I've given you some of the top 10 movies of the Madison family, okay? Notice some of the titles there in your notes. Things like uh, Cinderella and Snow White and Beauty and the Beast and The Sound of Music. And I mean, you got to have The Princess Bride on there, right? Anna Green Gables. I don't know how many times my, my daughters and wife have, looked, have watched that and ended up in tears every time. It's no different. The Lord of the Rings and... Do you notice anything about those top 10 movies that have made the top 10 list in our family? All of them end with, and they lived happily ever after. Those kind of movies. And that's what we expect when we come to Nehemiah 13, isn't it? If you were here last week, you remember that we, we, we looked at this great celebration as they dedicated the walls of Jerusalem. Now, let's review for just a minute. I mean, remember the story. We have these exiles, these refugees that have returned to their homeland, and that was the story of chapters 1 and 2 as they follow their leader, Nehemiah, back to their homeland. And then we we studied chapters 3 through 6, and we have this story of them rebuilding the walls. And then you come to chapters 8 through 10, and there's this great spiritual awakening, this revival that breaks out. And it's never been like that for a long time in the nation of Israel. And chapters 7 and 11 are about the repopulation of the city. And and then we saw this, this great rededication of the walls last week, as I just said, in this time of great celebration and, and joy. And I forgot to mention last week, if, if you look at Psalm 126, Hey, take that psalm home with you today and read it. That may have been one of the songs they were singing as they were dedicating the walls of Jerusalem. And so you come to chapter 13, and what do you expect? Well, I would expect the the book to end with, and they lived happily ever after. You're expecting the, the book to end well, and you're you're almost expecting as you get to chapter 13 that Things have been so good there in Jerusalem that you're expecting that you're to read, well, and they got on their horses and they, they rode off into the sunset. Like all those movies are supposed to end. It's almost like a fairy tale. But that's not how the book ends. And that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible isn't a fairy tale. The Bible isn't a movie. The Bible is truth. The Bible is reality. And there's an ebb and there's a flow to the Christian life. There's an up and a down in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. In the words of the hymn, which we opened with this morning, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's the reality of the Christian walk. There is an up and down to it. And so that's what we see now as we get to chapter 13. 
Nehemiah leaves Jerusalem and he goes back to Persia. He goes back to King Artaxerxes in the 32nd year of his reign. And something happens when the sheriff leaves town. Things aren't so good. And there's a regression in their relationship with God. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. We're going to read about the people's regress as they slip back into sin. And then we're going to look at Nehemiah's solutions to their situation as we end this book. And I think this is very personal and very practical. I think there's stuff here that every one of us can take with us this morning when that ebb and flow occurs in our walk with the Lord. There's some very practical principles here to help us get back on track. Now look at verses 6 and 7 again. But all of this was going on as they slipped back into their old ways. All of this was going on. While this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem, verse 6 tells us. For in the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I returned to the king. And sometime later, I asked his permission, and I came back to Jerusalem. How many of you have ever gotten on the internet or you're watching the evening news and you see that there's been an Amtrak train which derails. We've all seen pictures of that on the internet or on the news, haven't we? The pictures of that train that goes off the track, there's this derailment and it's a great tragedy. Well, that's really what we have here in chapter 13. As Nehemiah is gone back to Persia, We have this train wreck which occurs, this spiritual derailment, if you will, to use this analogy, which takes place in the lives of the people. Now, notice their sin. There are five things which occur. And the first thing that we see in verses 1 through 3 is they compromise God's commands. Now, I just read it, but look at it again. The Bible says that on that day, now we don't know exactly what day this is. Perhaps it was the renewal of the covenant, the the day of the the covenant committal back in chapters 9 and 10, the anniversary of that day. And they're, they're reading the word of God again as Nehemiah is gone from the city and they realize that they have violated, they have compromised God's clear commands. And so they're mixing with people, Ammonites and Moabites, these people that surround them. They're beginning to admit them into their assembly. Look at the, the first three verses again. And they're hanging out with people that God clearly told them not to hang out with. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 5. In fact, you might want to turn back there as I'm talking and just look at that because these three verses here at the beginning of Nehemiah 13 are almost identical to Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 through 5. God clearly forbid them to admit these kinds of people into their assembly, into their admits, and yet that's what they're doing. They're hanging out with people that God had told them not to hang out with. 
Now, have you ever done this in your relationship with God or have you ever violated something that your mom or your dad or your boss at work or whoever it is in your life, you know what the rules of the game are. You know what they told you. And I'm looking at you young people now for a minute. You know what mom said. You know what dad said. You know what the rules of the game are where you work. And yet you go out and you you do something that you know clearly is something that they've told you not to do. And we've been there and done that in our relationship with God too, haven't we? God had clearly said it, and now they're compromising. They had compromised his his commands. Now, I want you to notice verses 4 through 9. Whenever we begin to compromise God's commands, and there's a spiritual derailment in our relationship with God, to use that Amtrak analogy again, we begin to experience spiritual derailment, and there's a train wreck which is about to occur in our lives, that doesn't just happen by accident. It doesn't just happen. It's usually because we've made little decisions leading up to that place in our lives. And that's what we see here in verses 4 through 9. Notice the language of the Bible very carefully. Before this... Underline that or circle, circle that phrase. Before this, before this, this compromising of God's commands, which took place in verses 1 through 3 while Nehemiah was gone, before any of this, Elishib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God, and he was closely associated with Tobiah. And notice that he, he gives Tobiah this room in the temple courtyards. And so he's entertaining evil. He's doing something. He's beginning to, a spiritual compromise. So this spiritual train wreck which occurs really begins in the spiritual leadership of the people of God. Here's this priest who gives Tobiah this room. And Tobiah, notice, is an Ammonite. One of the people in verses 1 through 3, the God tells, is clearly commanded that they're not supposed to admit into their assembly. And yet he's given him this room. And you remember who Tobiah is. You remember Tobiah from chapter 2? Remember Tobiah from chapter 4 verses and chapter 6? He was the guy that, that hang out, hung out with uh, Sanballat and uh, he, he hung out with Geshem. He wasn't exactly a fan of the, the rebuilding project in, in, in Jerusalem. He wasn't a supportive of the rebuilding your walls project. He was an enemy of God. I mean, let's put the, sense, the, the humor aside. He was an enemy of God and yet here is a priest giving him a room in the courtyards of the, of the temple. And so he's entertaining evil, which is leading the people of God then down a path toward compromise of God's commandments. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 in the New Testament very clearly tells us, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? And the context there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is... Sexual immorality, 
which the church in Corinth is allowing something to go on. It's anathema, and yet they're allowing it. And so Paul says, don't you know that a little leaven, just a little bit of sin, just a little bit of, of, of compromise, just a little bit of entertaining evil, it doesn't, it doesn't take much. Just one small decision can leaven the whole lump of dough. And so then he goes on to say, clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened for Christ our Passover has also been sacrificed. And then notice verses 10 through 14. They begin to fudge on their finances. That's just a homiletical way of saying that they reneged on the commitment that they made back at the end of chapter 12. If you've got your Bible open, look, at the, look back up the page at the end of chapter 12. And what happened there? Remember last week we talked about it. They made a commitment. They had a, a covenant. They entered into a covenant. They were going to support the Levites and the priests with their offerings and their tithes. But look at verses 10 through 14. While Nehemiah's out of town, Nehemiah's left Jerusalem, and they go back on their word. They begin to compromise, and, and Nehemiah comes back. He returns, and he says, I also learned, verse 10, that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And that all the Levites and singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields because there was no money to support them. And so Nehemiah says, I rebuke the officials. Why is the house of God neglected? And he begins to to set things straight. You remember back in chapters 9 and 10 during the covenant renewal in the book of Nehemiah several times, They entered into an agreement to support God's work with tithes and offerings. Read the verses there on page 3 in your notes. And now they're going back on their word. They're no longer doing that. You know, last week, you remember my little story of the uh, shopping for some artwork on, on the Internet and how crabby that made me? It's true. We look for satisfaction in life and all of this stuff. I'm going to go back to my thought that I ended with last week. And we try to find meaning and we try to find satisfaction in, in all of these, all that our culture says, this is it. Just do this or just buy this or if you just experience this or if you just, then you'll have You'll be happy. You'll you'll find meaning. You'll find purpose. But remember what we said? None of the stuff that our culture, our world promises us is able to deliver. It's, It's the words of the song, right? All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so we we try to fill our lives with all this stuff and we become busy and we get caught up in it. And it even affects our, it affects our finances. It, it, if it, we, we stop providing for, for the ministry and we renege on our commitments. And I, they're going back on their word here. The Levites have to go back to their fields. There's no money to support the work of God. And then look at verses 
Well, this little quote here, I think it's a good one. Stewardship is not leaving a tip on God's tablecloth. I like this thought. So many times we just kind of flip God a dime, you know. Here's your dime. Here's your nickel, Lord. <laughs> you know, and we think we've, we've, we've done God a, a, a good deed. Stewardship is not leaving a tip on God's tablecloth. It's the confession of an unpayable debt at God's Calvary. And that's what we've been centering this service around this morning. Now look at verses 15 through 22. Notice the fourth thing they do is they, ex- we, they experience this derailment. They renege on rest. They violate, they desecrate the Sabbath day. You remember chapter 10, verse 31? As they, they make this covenant commit, committal to the Lord because of the revival which took place, they were all about going back to observing Sabbath, this Sabbath principle that God has given us in his word. And now they're, 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 down this, they're going down this slippery slope. They're reneging on it. They've forgotten what they promised God they were going to go back to and what they were going to do. They're no longer observing the Sabbath. And so verse 17 says that when Nehemiah gets back to town, I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing that you're doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day. And and he begins to call them to account for what they have forgotten and what they're now doing. They're ignoring and being irreverent toward the Sabbath principle. Now, remember what we said when we were studying this. I don't think God wants us to become Pharisees. The Pharisees had it all wrong. They took this Sabbath truth, and they, they stacked up all of these legalistic ways that they were supposed to do it and supposed to observe it, you remember, in the New Testament. God doesn't want us to go back and become Pharisees. But God gave us this principle, this truth for a reason. And you remember, it's root in creation. We talked about all of this. And the three purposes for Sabbath were rest. God rested. Even though God didn't need to do it, he, he modeled it for us. This principle of rest, which is for our well-being, reverence, Sabbath is for reverence, and then Sabbath is for restoration. And yet they've forgotten all of this stuff now, and, and they're just going back to their old ways. So I want to ask you a question right now. Are you taking time for Sabbath? Are you taking time for Sabbath in your own life? Because we, we, we violate this principle and we jeopardize our spiritual well-being and our health. God gave us this principle for a reason, for our good. I'm reminded of a story of a guy who was out in the forest and he was working really hard, this logger, to, to, to take down this big redwood tree. And he's working hard. He's just working away. He's slaving away. And, and he's making very little progress. I mean, it's just barely, he's, not, he's making no progress. And, and, and he takes a saw and he begins to look at it, and the blade is dull. And he puts the blade back in there, and he's just working harder and harder. What he really needed to do was take some time out, time out, and sharpen the blade of the saw. 
And then you go back and the tree, will, you can cut the tree down. Sabbath is like sharpening the blade of our soul. It sharpens us. It brings us back into connection with the Lord. And it, it revives us to walk with him in intimacy in our relationship with him. And then the fifth thing that they did, if you'll notice, is they begin to mess with marriage. Look at verses 23 through 27. Moreover, in those days, as Nehemiah returns, we read, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashad, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashad or or the language of, of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak. Some of them didn't even know how to speak Hebrew. They were mixing marriage. They were, they were marrying people they weren't supposed to marry. The drift toward derailment in the area of marriage was taking place. I want to say something to especially you young people for just a minute here. The second most important decision that you'll ever make in your life is who you'll marry. And so don't, don't be in too big a hurry to just go out there and get married. I mean, some people get married young and some people get married a little older. It doesn't matter whether you get married young or old. You know what matters? Is marrying the right person. Marrying the right person. Whether you're 31 or 21 or whatever it is, wait and marry the right person. And the Word of God has a lot to say about marriage. You read the New Testament, the Old Testament, and one of the principles, and we talked about this, is you want to marry somebody who shares your faith, somebody who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you know what? Look at verse 26 and 27 here in this passage. What does Nehemiah do? He reminds them of Solomon. And what happened to Solomon? Solomon was the wisest person who ever lived. But he made the mistake of shacking up with a bunch of ladies who led his heart astray. And it ruined him. It ruined him spiritually. It ruined him. The Word of God has a lot to say about marriage and who to marry. A lot of good books out on marriage, but you know what the best book out on marriage is? This book. This book. And a lot of the good books just take their, the, the principles that they write on out of this book. So read the book. Follow the book. They made the mistake of messing with God's wisdom and truth on what to do with marriage, and it cost them. It cost them spiritually. Now, very quickly, what were Nehemiah's solutions then to this spiritual train wreck and derailment which occurred. Number one, he reminded them of the Scripture. Look at verses 1. Look at verses 25 and 26. I just told you he reminded them of Solomon. The story of Solomon is in the Bible. It's in the Word of God, and it's there as a warning for us to remind us of what God wants us to do. Now, this is a word to our elders into our leaders as they, they shepherd the flock, as they tend the flock. And this is a good reminder for the new pastor that will be coming, and it's a good reminder to me 
Whenever you've got somebody that's derailed spiritually, the first thing you want to do is take them back to the book. Remind them of the Scripture. That's how we get back, get our lives back in alignment with the Lord, by getting back into the book. Remind people of the truth of God. It's not my opinion that counts. It's what the Word of God says that we always want to be bringing people to. And so that's what Nehemiah does as he comes back to Jerusalem. He reminds them of the Scripture. Notice number two, he rebukes them for their sin. Look at verses 8, 9, 21, and 25. Nehemiah comes back into town with a six-shooter on his hip, okay? Look at verse 8 again. This guy is, it was my paraphrase, but it's the truth, he was ticked off. Three times in this chapter, the Bible tells us that he's angry for good reason. In verse 21, he threatens to lay hands on those who are continuing to violate the Sabbath. <laughs> Look at verse 25. He said, I called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled their hair out. How would you like an elder or a pastor to do that to you? Some people wonder if maybe he got a little carried away there. And, uh, but he was, he was upset. It reminds you of Jesus in Matthew 21 and the, the, the money changers in the temple. And we talked about that earlier as we were going through the truth of this book. There is such a thing as righteous indignation. One of our problems in America today is we're so much about love that we've forgotten about truth. But first, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says that we're to truth it. We're to speak the truth, yes, in love, but we're to speak the truth. Nehemiah is simply sharing the truth of the Word of God with them, and he's rebuking them for their good. Sometimes... I think we're so much about love that we, we neglect the truth of the Word of God. Now, notice the third thing that he does, or what they do. They reevaluate their situation. And as you get back into the Word, if you find your, yourself derailing spiritually, if, or there's an ebb in your walk with the Lord, and as you get back into the Word, or somebody shares the truth of the Word with you, and they rebuke you for your good. The third thing you need to do is reevaluate your situation. And that's what they do in this chapter. Look at the verses there on, on page five on your notes. Verse one, verse three, they reevaluate their situation. And then they repent of their sin. And they, then they recommit their lives to God's standards. And you can read the rest of the notes there. You got them. You can take them home with you. You get the point. But those are five steps that we all need to take in order to get back reconnected with the Lord when we find ourselves drifting spiritually. And we see all of this in this chapter. Story of a, a captain of a big battleship, and he's out on a foggy, wintry night, and he sees this light in the distance, 
And he tells the captain on the deck, he's, this captain says, send him a signal and tell them to get out of our way, that we're a battleship. And, and so they send this signal through the fog, and it says, change your course 20 degrees. This is the battle captain of the battleship. And this little message comes back that says, I'm a first officer, and you get out of the way. You change your course 20 degrees. And he said, did you hear me? I'm the captain of the battleship. Change your course 20 degrees. And the message comes back, change your course 20 degrees. This is the first officer. And then he says, who are you? And the message comes back, I'm in the lighthouse. You don't mess with the truth of the word of God. The word of God is the lighthouse. It's the lighthouse. And as we get our lives back into the word, God calls us to bring our lives back into realignment, just like you'd realign the tires on your car to experience renewal again in your relationship with him. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Lord, this is very personal. It's very practical because it's reality. There is an ebb and a flow in our relationship with you. Help us to remember the spiritual drift which took place in the lives of the people of God here at the end of the book of Nehemiah. It had been so good. Renewal, revival, rejoicing, celebration, worship, praise. And then it's just like they they go off the train tracks. And then, Lord, help us to remember these five principles, these things that Nehemiah did to bring them back into realignment. Whenever we start drifting spiritually, Lord, in our own relationship with you, five ways to refuel the, the revival, that intimacy with you in our relationship with you. And Lord, I just ask that you take this book, this, this book that's in your book, the book of Nehemiah, and help us to remember it, Lord. Help us to remember all these weeks that we've spent in it. Use the truth that we've discovered and make us stronger in our walk with you, Lord, I pray. Let's stand now as we worship God and close this service.